And we also see things from the level of emotional intelligence that we're sitting at. If you've been sitting in a state of anger or resent or guilt or shame, you will see a situation completely different to if you're sitting in a place of wholeness, abundance, joy, and happiness. It's like perception versus reality, fact or assumption. Welcome to the Business of Doing Business. I'm your host, Dwayne Carey. With 35 years in business and close to 30 ventures across 12 industries, I've seen a lot. Amid the celebrity allure of entrepreneurship, many exceptional entrepreneurs remain shadowed. Here, I team up with these hidden talents to unveil their challenges and successes. Dive in with me to unearth entrepreneurial gems, learn from our experiences, and get educated. Kim, thank you so much for coming. Really appreciate you being here. I am so grateful to A, get you back on the podcast, but not only get you back, but have you in the studio on your travels uh, while you've been spending some time in Canada. So thank you very much for being here and it's taking the time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. So what's going on? You're, uh, you're traveling the world, obviously, right now. I am. I am now an NFAer, a no fixed addresser. Oh, right. Yeah. You're, you uh, got rid of your place. I did. Yes. What are you doing now? I'm traveling, exploring, and just seeing where the wind blows me, really. Nice. Yeah. That's the life of a trader, I guess, eh? It is. That's the advantage of having like an online business versus stuff that Fixed we have, business, which is yeah. bricks and mortar. You actually came and spent some time in one of our restaurants working, which I, I did. spoke to the staff today actually about it and said that they, a, you thought it was awesome and uh, that you had a great time and they were very grateful to spend the time with you that day. I did. I did. I learned so much from the process. I've never worked in a, in a fast food outlet in my life. I enjoyed every moment of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Seeing the logistics, the operations, the camaraderie, the teamwork. It was amazing. It's interesting. You have an opportunity to really touch people and influence them if that's what you choose to do. And I think that gets lost on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Especially in this day and age with social media and, Technology. you know, but you're like, you're touching literally thousands of people a day, especially if you're working on the front counter, you know, mm-hmm. environment of, of, of that. Uh, I do think that is a bit of a lost art nowadays, but it, and people don't, I don't think they really understand the power of the ability to influence people, whether it be just give them a smile on their face or make them feel good or say something that makes them laugh. And that is, I don't do it obviously anymore, but, but I do miss it actually. Yeah. You know, we went out for lunch today actually. And so like every time there's a never ever a time where I don't go to a restaurant and ask the server what their name is and try to interact with them, find out what they're about. And mm-hmm. so, I, I mean, I think that's uh, an important way to connect. Yeah, I think it's one of life's most valuable skills is the ability to connect with other humans. And as you mentioned, human connection is a lost art in the world of technology because most people only know how to communicate with their phone or with the internet or, you know, with a social media platform. And I really do think that connection is one of the most valuable assets, certainly in the business environment and in the entrepreneur world, the ability to connect with other people is, you know, we were talking the other day that your network is such a valuable commodity and, you know, your network is your net worth. 
but I really feel like your ability to communicate and connect with people, you know, communication is one thing, but connection is another. And that's something that really rung true to me the other day when I had that work experience or, you know, I had a job for half a day was the short time that I was interfacing with the customers. My goal was how can I leave an impact and an imprint on these people when literally I only have moments to connect with them. And I just think that that's one of, you know, one of the skills that certainly in business, we've lost a focus on it, I think. And um, we're all humans and one of our primal needs is to connect with other human beings. So yeah, it's, it's a really important piece. When that came up, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you had mentioned that you think that's the next currency or potentially yeah. the next currency. I do. I mean, I think we've moved through these evolutions and I, I believe that the next currency is, you know, I have this phrase that I've coined the connection currency and maybe I'll write a book on it. But I do believe that the next currency for humanity is going to be connection. You know, that comes in verbal connection. It comes in energetic connection because 93% of what we communicate is nonverbal. So it's like when you're dealing with a a piece of technology in a phone all the time, we lose that ability and we, it's like going to the gym. You know, if you don't work out, you won't build the muscle. And I don't think we do enough of that in today's society and the value of it. And certainly I think one of my greatest assets in my business career so far has been my ability to connect with other people and to do it in a way, you know, that doesn't seem like the typical, oh, I'm just trying to get something from you. It's like, how can I add value to you? What can I do to bring value to you and or to your business if that's the environment that you're in? The piece that you just said there was that energetic piece, right? That is what's going to be more and more difficult you know, as we start getting into metaverses and it really starts to, it just becomes the norm. Yeah. Just like gaming, you know, it's, it's going to be a, the energy that you receive from people, both positive and negative. Yeah. I mean, you know, it can be a good thing. It can also be a really bad thing. It's detrimental, yeah. Uh, and, and so it's a huge piece. Yeah. So I'm curious, you're a trader and we've talked about this already, but from the energy connection piece i've traded not good so i don't do it anymore to make money but i shouldn't say i don't no good not well (laughs) you know it's the one thing i struggled with was i'm in my office all by myself and so from the standpoint of someone who is very i would say high level in their ability to connect with others or super high level how do you cope with all that Yeah, it's a really interesting question and it's definitely been something that I've struggled with over the duration since I moved into and grew and evolved into the trading space. And I think one of the reasons why I'm on the transition, the life transition that I'm on at the moment is because travel provides such a connection piece for me. So, you know, my day, typically I'll wake up, well, now that I'm on this time zone, North American time zone, I'll wake up in the morning jump into the markets, do what I need to do, hit my daily target. And during that time, I literally don't interact with any other humans because I need to be completely focused and completely in the zone. But what I realized before I made this transition was the life that I live is the complete opposite to majority of humanity. You know, most people go to work Monday to Friday, nine to five. When I was back in Australia, my day started at three or 4 p.m. in the afternoon. So everything that most people would do when they finish work I'd already done during the day because my workday started at 4 p.m. 
So typically for me, Monday to Friday, there was no dinners, you know, no catching up with people, no socializing, no gym after that time because I'm on the charts. So it, it created a little bit of isolation for me. So what I had to do was sit down and really look at my need structure, what fulfilled me, what made me happy, what brought me joy, and then also look at the structure of my lifestyle in the sense of all of the things that when I actually sat down and went through, not all of the things, but a lot of the things that brought me joy and the people that brought me joy were not in one location. So I made a a bold decision to literally pack up and sell everything. And that in itself, not the decision to pack up and sell everything, but the transition of living a life of freedom, because that's ultimately what I'm doing now. I'm not at one fixed address. I get to choose where I go on whatever day. That's really increased that my level of connection because I'm connecting with new places, new people, new experiences, new food, new culture, new environments, new daily routines. So for me, that connection piece has gone from literally zero to hero, just from that one decision to say, you know, I think we get caught in, or I certainly will speak to for myself, I was very guilty in remaining attached to a specific cliche or a specific ideal, a societal expectation around, you know, I'm 44 years old, I'm single, the only commitment I have is my dog. But I'd lived in this perception that at this point in my life, I needed to have, you know, the house on the hill and, you know, I've been relatively successful um, in my career. So I should have all of the material things that society says that you should have, you know, married with kids, all of that jazz. But then I realized the complete opposite is really what provides me fulfillment and connection. And so being okay and getting grounded with not being part of the crowd or not living to those expectations, it's one thing to create success. You know, success in the form of most people look at that from a financial perspective and a material perspective or a societal constraint perspective. But, you know, I guess when we look at the greats, majority of them don't end up following the crowd. And so for me, that connection piece has really come from stripping away all of the constraints that the expectations of if I have this, then I should be there. Or at this point in my life, I should be doing this instead of just saying, okay, well, what really makes me happy? And, you know, do you have to live in the one place all the time? And it's interesting because the moment I made the decision and then Every time I've shared with people, you know, hey, this is what I've decided to do. It's interesting, the feedback that people give you, they're like, oh, you know, I'd love to be able to do that. So, and when you really drill down on that, it's not so much the not having the responsibilities, because I have a lot of responsibilities in my day. Um, It's not the responsibility piece. I think it's more just about finding what aligns for you and going back to really what brings you joy. Because, you know, I found also too, my connection with the the markets and the charts and, you know, reaching my daily goals and percentages, that's all sort of gone on a trajectory since the moment that I made that decision to go, no, I just want to follow really what brings me joy. That the connection has come in ways that I, you know, I didn't realize that connection would show up in those ways because connection, we typically think, oh, right now you and I are connecting. 
But connection can come from meeting a random stranger in an airport or connecting like what you said, you know, with the waiter at lunch or sitting on an aeroplane for 13 hours and connecting with a random stranger next to you. It's like, yeah, I think I think we just lose perception around what that piece is in our life and how important it actually is. Because certainly in the trading space, I know a lot of people, I think one of the reasons why they don't succeed, they could be a phenomenal trader. But trading is a lonely sport. You know, it's literally you and the screen and you and the market. It's not something you can do with other people. So I think a lot of the reasons why traders don't succeed is because they don't include the connection part as part of the career choice. They they just isolate themselves, which then isolates part of our natural being, which is that want to be connected. Right. You, you had made a comment a couple of times about finding joy. I'm curious, just love for you to unpack that process. I mean, I think there's a lot of people, whether you own your own business or you work for a business or whatever it is, but there's a lot of people who struggle with finding joy. You know, I think I, pro- I probably struggled with that until I found a process and a way to kind of un- unpack it for myself. I'm curious, how did you do that? What was your process? Was it just you? Did you just figure it out over time? Did you gather some resources? What was, what did it look like for you? I think it's a combination of things. The challenge with trading is that done right, done correctly, it can bring you a level of success and it can bring you a level of success in a, a very short period of time and in ways that our normal brain perception is not used to. So for me, I came from a traditional you know, business background of you work 12 hours a day, you know, you put everything in, you work hard, and then you get the results. One of the challenges for me was, and certainly over the past couple of years as a trader, and this might sound odd to most people, but the greatest challenge that I had in my trading journey was accepting, once I refined the skill and once I got good at it, was accepting that Most days for me, it takes me less than 30 minutes to achieve my desired outcome. I was so hardwired and programmed that success meant 12 hours a day, five days a week, six days a week. It meant the grind. So the joy piece for me really came, it came in a number of different ways. One, it came from finding some stillness and some space. And for me, you know, COVID was great for me because obviously COVID for everyone made us get grounded because we couldn't go anywhere and do all the things that we were used to doing. So COVID for me really gave me that opportunity to just be still and gave me some space. And it was in that stillness and space that I guess in a way my analytical brain was able to slow down. And so just little things, you know, I remember this one day I was out on my back deck and my dog was running around and she was chasing this dragonfly. And I got so captivated by watching the joy that she had chasing this dragonfly around. She just, you know, she was panting and huffing and puffing and she was so happy. And I was like, it was in that moment that I was like, wow, I'm getting so much joy out of watching her get joy out of something that's so simple. I realized that I was starting to miss this my grandmother used to say this saying to me all the way, all the time. She used to say, along the way, take time to smell the roses. You know, she it was one of those sayings, you know, you, your parents or your grandparents say to you all the time. And I, it, 
it never really sunk in until I really started to sit in this joy piece. So for me, stillness was a big part of it. I've done a lot of um, Joe Dispenza's work and that whole quantum realm for me was a very challenging thing to digest and process and understand. So I would say that through my journey of stillness, the work that I've done around connecting with the quantum and then what I really started to become acutely aware of was the things that I didn't enjoy doing. So when something came up, it was like my intuition or my stomach all of a sudden would be like, oh, I really don't like doing this. And so I just sit with myself in those times of silence and I'd be like, why am I doing this? And nine times out of 10, it was just because you just get so programmed to do shit that you don't like doing. Like classic example, I was not born with a domestic gene in my body in the sense of house cleaning is just something. (laughs) And I just, I'll happily sit on a ride on lawnmower and mow some grass, but you want me to get on a vacuum and a mop and like, it's just, it's just not my jam. Right. (laughs) Yep. And especially as a woman, everyone's like, well, you know, you're supposed to clean your house and you're supposed to cook. And, you're, and I was like, why am I getting stuck in these shoulds? Like, why am I shooting all over myself? I don't enjoy doing that. Turns out I found a lady who loves doing it and it brings her so much joy to buzz around my house once a week and clean. So things like that, it was a shift in perspective. It was a shift in me going, you know what? I don't have to do those things and I shouldn't feel guilty about not doing those things. So the joy piece came from me sitting in stillness, I guess understanding more about the universe, what's around us, who we are as humans, and really, I guess, sitting with looking at the things that I didn't enjoy doing, which then led me to the question, well, what are the things that I enjoy doing? Now I'm not doing this, 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 and this. What are the things that bring me joy? And, and I just had to be consciously aware in those moments when I felt joy, okay, what am I doing and what led to that? Because quite often it's not, oh, I feel joyful when I'm dancing or I feel joyful when I'm, you know, surfing or I feel joyful. It's not so much the specific activity. It could be the environment that you're in or even just the state of mind that you're in. Sometimes you don't actually have to be doing anything to create joy for yourself. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's... Well, it it brings a couple of questions and thoughts to my head in terms of, I think we talked about the stillness thing in in our first conversation. So I'll just kind of leave that. And if anybody hasn't heard that podcast, go back and, because it is, I think, a powerful piece. You know, the, the, the second part, you know, which, which is like, do the things that you enjoy doing. I've talked about it on the podcast with other guests and I don't think, I don't think it was with you, but time, energy, and focus, right? I'm, I'm huge on that. I mean, it's what I teach my executive team and, and, you know, I don't do anything that like, I hate gardening. I hate doing stuff, grass, like just can't, I don't do it. I don't do any of that stuff. I do what I'm good at. I do what I enjoy doing and I hire the rest out and I, you know, figure, I think that's also a state of abundance as well, where you are you know, if you have the mindset of abundance going, well, I can't afford that. And there are some people who legit, you know, can't afford or, or, you know, and, 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 you know, even to the first piece that you talked about, 
spending time alone and stillness and all that kind of stuff. Some people who have three or four kids would be sitting there listening, going, well, that's good for you. You don't have kids, but what about that? But I also do think that there are, there's a mindset of, I mean, the first mindset is about abundance on, on the time, energy and focus piece, which is, you know, you just have to commit yourself and believe. And I think at some level, the universe shows up and will compensate you in ways that you never thought would be possible. Yep. You know, on the other side, I had a, a friend of mine who came to me and her and her husband were having trouble. And you know, I've got like a level 4 million out of 10 uh, relationship with my wife. Like it's, it's, you do. it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. I mean, I said to her this morning, actually, we we're getting ready for the gym and I'm like, I just, you know, it's, it me like, it feels like we're still like, you know, that in that first six months of girlfriend, boyfriend stuff, like honeymoon period, like, yeah. not, like, and we're married for 12 years and been together for 15 and known each other for 20. And it's like, it, it even baffles me, but somebody had asked us, like said, Hey, you know, talked and said, well, you know, your kids were older or whatever when we were first starting out and stuff like that. And I'm like, Look, it's not about the kids. It's like it's about you committing to take the time. They have a newborn. Right. And I said it's not about the child. It's about how you how your perception is developed around what you need to do for that child or what you need to not do for that child and how it meets your needs versus how you can get your needs met elsewhere inside your relationship. I mean, they actually took our advice and they started, you know got a babysitter at very young age with the, with the baby and, and started going out on dates and, you know, have kind of revived their relationship, but it's, but it is, it's important. And, and whether it's your, your child, whether it's your business, whether it's, you know, your health, like we're neglecting lots of things in our lives because we're getting our needs met somewhere else. And so we have to really kind of be cognizant about how to, you know, get those needs met. Sorry for babbling, but the, the question I had, out of you know those three points that you made was the Joe Dispenza and the quantum piece. I'm very interested in like doing some Joe Dispenza work is is on our list uh, to do in 2023. But <laughs> we're burning time here, so I, I mean, hopefully we'll do it in 2023, maybe 2024. I'm I'm curious. I'd love for you to just kind of uh, like unwrap that a little bit, if, if you don't mind, and what. It, what the process is so that people can kind of understand it, but then also like, you know, how you work through the process for yourself. The way that I've been taught to understand the world, you know, and the world that we live in, I think one of the biggest things that's come from Joe's work is it's really got me to expand my perception on what the world is, what we are as humans, how we show up, kind of, I don't know, like the, the the code to humanity and life itself. So that's a big statement. So let me go back and unpack that a little bit. So when I first started doing Joe Dispenza's work, you know, I read the Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And I've, I've always known that our mind really is the pivotal point of everything that we do in our life, you know, because what you think about, you bring about, what you focus on expands, all those sorts of things. The part for me that was really the unknown was what are really the driving forces behind that? And that's a basic statement because we could say, well, it's our, how our emotions, our environment, you know, our state, 
our energy, all of those things. But the curiosity for me is, and I have a very deep sense of curiosity about loads of different things in life, but this particular topic in itself. So what creates our thoughts and, you know, a thought triggers a chemical response in our brain, which then creates a physical response in our body. And what Joe's work has really helped me understand is the link between the biological response of what our thoughts create chemically in our brain, which results in a biological connection in our anatomy. And then also the thought sets the intention in what Joe refers to as the field, which is in the quantum or in the universe, depending on what your perception of the world is. The thought sends basically, think about like a radio antenna. So the thought sends a, a message out like a radio antenna. And then it, the feeling is ultimately what creates our reality. And the biggest distinction for me in this work, in this journey has been that feelings and emotions are two completely different things. Understanding how to sit in a feeling, like literally just embody a feeling versus experience an emotion, how to separate those two things. And it's not a simple thing to do. <laughs> it's, this has probably been one of the hardest journeys that I've, that I've been on because our mind is so programmed. It's like getting to the subconscious you know, Joe talks about you have to pass the analytical mind to get to the subconscious mind. And anyone who, you know, is an alpha personality or, you know, entrepreneurs or highly driven or super analytical, it's really challenging to quieten that analytical mind. So as you can get through to the subconscious, I, I went to a, a live Joe Dispenza event earlier this year. It was a seven day event and I was absolutely blown away the evidence and the research um, that they've done, whether it be brain scans, gut microbiome, blood tests, all sorts of DNA profiles, lengths of telomeres, all sorts of things, I was blown away by how the meditations, now let me just quantify this word, Joe calls them meditations. Meditations to the average person to me is kind of like a hum, you know, kumbayaing. Joe's meditations are far from that because you are actively working incredibly hard the whole time that you're in that meditation. He's guiding you through a process to activate certain neurological centers in your brain, which send out a, a radio frequency, and that's all measured. That can scientifically be measured with an electromagnetic field um, meter. Sorry, if I can just interrupt. I have a question, and I, I don't want to get too far into meditations. I do want to get into it, but, I, but you had talked about feelings and emotions. They're not the same. I feel like if I don't understand this, it's going to be hard for me to go forward in this conversation. So the, let's take, take the feeling of anger is different from the emotion of anger. Is, is that yeah. what I'm hearing? Let me do this an easy way and an example that I can, I think will be easy for most people to understand. So when people say... Fuck most people, I, I'm trying to figure it out myself. <laughs> <laughs> so when people say they want to feel the feeling of love, people say, I want to feel love. No, they don't. They want to feel connection, right? So love is the emotion, but connection is the feeling. Because you think about when you say, I love you to your wife, right? 
it's not the emotion that you're experiencing, it's the feeling. So when people say, I want to be happy, that's an emotion. The feeling, when you say, well, what's behind, tell me what being happy is. Well, happy is I'm abundant, I'm whole, I'm free. That's a feeling. Like I just literally got goosebumps when I said those words because my biology now responds to the feeling. So emotions, I don't know if you've ever seen the Dr. Emoto, the test with water when they put different words on water and it creates different patterns in the water. They can actually test the frequency of feelings versus emotions. And so feelings, sorry, emotions have a lower vibration than what feelings do. So if you can create a thought, which is an intention, whatever that thought may be, or that intention might be, you know, I want to be financially free or I want to be fit and healthy or whatever it is, the only way that that will actually crystallize in the physical is if you can sit in the feeling of it. So it's one thing to have the thought, the thought sends the signal out, but the feeling is the magnet that brings it back. And training your body to sit in those feelings, in high-frequency feelings. So what Joe refers to as the the stress hormones, which is fear, anger, resent, you know, all of the negative emotions. Training your body to not sit in those feelings, but to sit in the abundance and the wholeness and the, the joy and the gratitude, it's not as simple, is it? Yeah, so because just before you brought those up, sorry, what are they called? The, the survival hormones. So stress, you know, so anger, resent, sadness. Because when you were talking about that whole process of emotion and feeling, I was thinking, oh, well, people then, so, and please correct me if I'm misinterpreting this. If people are, the emotion is anger, they feel, let's say, power. And it'll be, I guess it'll be different for everybody. Like you explain, you know, love. And, you know, for me, it might be different. The, 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 sorry, the feeling of love might be different for me than it would be for you and vice versa. But I guess uh, the, what I thought was with anger, if the emotion is anger and the feeling is power, that would be very hard to let go of. Yes. So in some cases, now anger, just like love is different to everyone, anger might be different for everyone too. So anger yep. might be they go to guilt or they go to shame, mm-hmm. right? So some people- Or resentment. Or resent- So what happens is when that happens, it's so much easier to get addicted to the negative chemically, biochemically in your body. Your body gets addicted to the feeling. So when you create that emotion, that negative emotion, the body creates a chemical because when you think I'm angry, you know, in your physiology, you feel differently. Body, you know, tenses up. So the brain creates chemicals and so it gets addicted to wanting a hit of anger all the time. So that's why someone who's angry, unless they do the work to break that pattern, it's not that they want to be angry all the time. It's their body chemically wants the hit of the anger chemical. And is that chemical, is that dopamine? Is that what's being dropped into or do you you know? No, for the stress hormones, no. So it's more they'll get cortisol, they'll get adrenaline. You know, it's the sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, fight or flight response. Yeah. And so when that happens, the body goes danger, danger, danger. I'm in stress, stress, stress. You know, it's like in the caveman ages, it was like, oh, there's a lion running at me. I've got to get away to save my life. That's the trigger response that's constantly playing out. 
And certainly for me, I know that that's a state where I had, where my life just by default, because I hadn't caught it, that's where I'd got to. Did he talk about needs helplessness, like that type of, and I don't know if what the emotion and feeling would be there, but. Like learned helplessness? Yeah, learned helplessness yeah. or, yeah. Like I've seen so many people get trapped in that uh, loop where they just kind of. They just get stuck in it because there's there's nothing to interrupt the thought pattern and the thought is the ultimate trigger for everything else. Thought creates the chemical, chemical creates the physical, physical creates the response. So a good example of this is Joe did a podcast with Stephen Bartlett not long ago and Stephen was saying, okay, Joe, I've got these habits that I really need to break. And one of them is like at midnight every night, I know I shouldn't eat sugar, but I'll go and just eat you know, half a block of chocolate, I'll go and eat a whole bunch of sugar. And the moment I eat the sugar, I instantly feel guilty because I know I shouldn't be doing it. And Joe just looked at him and he said, Stephen, you don't have an addiction to sugar. You're addicted to guilt. You only go and eat the sugar because it gives you the guilt feeling. So you're not addicted to sugar. You don't have a problem with sugar. You have a problem with being addicted to guilt. And what was his response to how how it would be the process or the thinking behind making that change you've got to get into the autonomic nervous system you've got to get past the analytical mind to be able to reprogram the subconscious so he needs to stop that he needs to reprogram it and through the joe's meditations or through his work that's he's teaching you how to stop getting into those states and how to stop those thoughts from happening. And it's hard work. I'm not going to make it sound like it's all apples and roses. It's not. They measured a one-hour meditation, doing a one-hour meditation, but Joe's meditations, two and a half thousand calories you burn during that meditation. That's how much you're using your brain. That's a mind-boggling statistic. Like that is a huge number. I forget what the number is, but uh, another huge number for burning calories is playing chess. Chess masters, I think they burn like three thousand calories in a in a in a, a match of chess. Or, yeah, because they're so focused. Yeah, yeah, and it's all burning. Yeah, so twenty five hundred calories, eh? Two and a half thousand calories. Yeah, and I can tell you, we did. I think it was forty three hours of meditation in the seven days at the intensive retreat of his, and. Yeah, I would have to say it's probably one of the hardest things, one of the greatest accomplishments because getting yourself to sit for 43 hours in a week in, as I said, I don't like using the word meditation because I don't think it is, but sitting in that work and doing that mental work, it's tough. Yeah, but his, completely his, worth. The people who follow his work should be ripped if they're losing 2,500 calories every time. Yeah. <laughs> Abs, everybody's got abs. Everyone's a rip six back. Yeah. Sorry, Joe Dispenza. I'm, no. not, I'm not making fun of your stuff. I need to do some more meditation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got to burn some calories. Forget about going to the gym. I'm just going to do a meditation. Please explain the meditations then. The meditations, uh, there's music playing in the background and the frequency of the music has been programmed. If you understand vibration and hertz, there's a certain level of hurts and vibration in music that can put the brain into different, you know, alpha, theta, beta, gamma, different states of being. So the music is designed to get the analytical mind to switch off 
and to drop you into a deeper state of consciousness, you know, so to shut the operating system off, basically. Yeah. And for people who have not done any of this work, the, you know, the earth has its own frequency. Your heart has its own frequency. Certain organs in your body have their own frequency. Uh, wood has its own frequency. Yeah. So there's just like almost every material on the planet. Uh, and to my understanding has its own different frequency. And so that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Best way to explain it is if you've ever seen sand put on a speaker um, on top of a speaker and when the speaker plays the music and the sand moves into different patterns, that's frequency. And it's, it's, that's for me, the easiest way to make a physical connection to the energy because we can't see the energy, right? So the music is on, which is affecting the brain subconsciously. Joe comes on and speaks. And initially when you first start doing his meditations, you know, everyone says the same thing. Like, what the, what was that guy saying? But the reason why, like he'll say, think about the space around your eyes like this. Oh, that's what he does? Yeah. Okay. So, but Good to know. Thanks for the heads up there. <laughs> yeah, so you're not like, has Peace something out. happened? Has something I'm, happened to my recording? I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. And so most people are like, that was the weirdest thing I've ever listened to. But what he's actually doing is he's getting you to focus outside of your body. So the whole point is to take your focus from the brain to expand because we all have an electromagnetic field around us, right? You know, when people say you can feel a needle being dropped, you can feel when someone walks into a room and the energy just drops, that's because their electromagnetic field has a negative polarization. Yeah, they're so, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can feel it. You can walk up to a crowd of people and you can tell whether someone's interactive or not. So that's your electromagnetic field. So all he's trying to do is get you out of your analytical thinking brain and get you to expand your consciousness to the field that's around you. So that's why his voice goes, <laughs> because with the sound and the music and him getting you to focus on outside of you, that helps you in his language for you to get out of your body. So you basically just listen to the instructions of what he tells you to do throughout the meditation. It's like in the sense of what he tells you to do, that part's not hard, but the focusing on what he's telling you to do because your brain goes, oh, shit, I didn't take the garbage out or oh, I haven't worked out yet or forgot to send that email. So it's like, uh-uh, come back here. Getting the brain to stop thinking analytically and just be present in the moment. That's the hard part. But the coolest part about these meditations, and he talks about synchronicities all the time. So he gets you to focus on different feelings. So he'll say, now I want you to take your energy to behind your chest bone and I want you to focus. And when you start to get good at it, you can feel the energy there. Like you can, the heat that's coming out of there is, is intense. And then he'll say, now I want you to bless that area with wholeness or with joy or with abundance. And he talks about expecting the unexpected. So when you want something in your life and you want to create something in your life, he gets you to sit in the feeling you can't visualize what you want, how you want it to show up, right? So you've got to sit, so you can't say, I want to make a million dollars. What he gets you to do is just sit in the feeling of abundance or freedom because ultimately your million dollars 
No, it's what it can buy or what it will use. But most people focus on, I want a million dollars, I want a million dollars. And that's the wrong signal, right? So he gets you to focus on these different um, feelings. And I can't even, I could sit here and tell you story after story after story of live time. I'll finish a meditation. I will have focused on a particular area in my life. I turn my phone back on or I'll walk out of the house. Boom. He says, like a thief in the night. The shit just shows up. Really? Just shows up. Yep. And in ways that you would never expect. Like you you would go, oh, well, I would never have thought that that would have happened that way. So learning to trust the unknown and getting good at sending the signal and sitting in the feeling, not the emotion of it and not the visualization. Shutting down the, it needs to be a red Ferrari or it needs to be a, you know, a this or a that. No, you just set the intention, sit in the feeling, and then wait for the synchronicities just to show up. And the reason I've kept going, because I needed tangible evidence that this stuff worked, because I can't see it. I can't see, touch, and feel it, but it just shows up. Yeah, that's what I like when you bring something to the table, like you're a pretty practical person. And it's interesting, like, I mean, I've heard some crazy things from people, especially inside those meditations. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we spoke to you and then. Sure enough, you know, a few weeks later, somebody else had done it, right? It popped up with it. Then, you know, and all of a sudden, like, you know, you don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden, two or three people have taken his course, all of a sudden pop into your life. And and then all of a sudden you go, okay, well, maybe this is the universe telling us something that, that we need to give it a try. But I've heard nothing but unbelievably powerful things from from his meditations that he, as he refers to them. The evidence for me of other people, and I guess that's how I started, was seeing the changes in other people, but then my own experiences, the evidence is too strong for me to, to, to not do it. Yeah. Do you have like one incident where you went, okay, this is just ridiculous. Yeah. I've had a couple and it probably will sound like woo woo. The joy piece one of the greatest moments of joy for me is when I'm in that meditative state. The feeling that you get throughout your entire anatomy is euphoric. He calls them mystical experiences. And when I first started and he was like, oh, I have these mystical experiences. I was like, what's the guy on? Like, what's he talking about? But the moment that the, like the wave comes over your body, you're like, that looked like sex the way you just did that. Yeah, <laughs> I would go close to saying it's sometimes it's better than that. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's like I I I don't have the word. like really in the physical world like it's somewhat similar to that. He has a whole range of different meditations. So depending on what you want to do in your life, the alchemist meditation for me of his is definitely like. So he's getting you to tune into the alchemist within you. I don't, I don't know if you've read the book, The Alchemist, but yeah. Yep. So he's getting you to tune into to that. And the alchemist meditation, it's an hour. And if you had said to me before I started his work that I would be sitting in a chair doing nothing for an hour, I would have just said, not going to happen. You know, it's, I'm, I'm not that kind of person yeah, with that attention that's what, that's what I'm saying in my yeah. head right now. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to lie. But I started off with the 25-minute meditation so the alchemist for me like literally out of body experience feel like i'm levitating the orgasmic energy that's probably the best way to explain it and there's people in his 
who are what he calls advanced meditators, they can literally sit there and drop into the field within like 30 seconds and they can bring themselves to orgasm. I know it, it sounds woo-woo. Yeah. No. You can watch some of the videos on, um, on YouTube. Of- yeah, but videos are like, you know, I don't know. I'm skeptical when I see videos and whatnot. If I'm talking to somebody who I know, you know, appreciate and respect, then, you know, that's to me goes a long way to watch somebody on a video do an orgasm. Like they've been doing that for women have been doing that for centuries. Yeah. So So let me explain this because I think this is a really important point. Our sexual energy is our life force energy, right? And it's our creative energy. So the most powerful creative energy on the planet is our life force energy. But society has taught us that that energy is for procreation or for pleasure. You know, it's for physical intimacy or for procreation. When we talk about connection, I think one of the pieces that's really important is connection to self. And certainly when I started doing this meditation work, I didn't start out with the thought that, you know, I was going to have way more, let's call it orgasmic energy flowing through my body. But certainly having that that life force energy flowing through you and it being outside of a sexual intimate moment, the creativity that it brings and the manifestation, like what you're able to do with that energy is profound. And he breaks it down and he explains, you know, most people refer to the energy centers as chakras, but he explains the role of each of the different energy centers in our body. And I didn't realize, you know, like the solar plexus as an example, that's probably our strongest creativity other than third eye and our our pineal gland. And that's the other thing. He teaches you how to activate the crystals in the bottom of your pineal gland. When I do those ones, I am sweating like a mofo, like my body is working so hard at that moment in time to create that pressure to activate the pineal gland. And as we know, the pineal gland is, you know, the most powerful part of our brain from a creativity perspective. So the energy that you get from it is the energy you expel is one thing, but what you take away from it is, is another. And I kind of want to frame this the right way. It's so hard to find words to put around it because it's not sort of a a normal feeling that we go, people go, oh yeah, I had an orgasm. So we can relate, oh, that's what an orgasm feels like. But it's, it's similar, but different. And so the body, think about the the feel-good feelings you have after an orgasm. It's like that's rushing through you whilst you're doing those those meditations. Now, it took me a minute to get, you know, because my brain would drop out, come back in, drop out, come back in. So it's it's taken me a, a moment to get to that point. How many months do you think you're if you do it consistent consistently, for me I would say it I would say it took three months. But I would stop, start, stop, start, you know, do a couple of days here, do a couple of days there. But it's like, what do they call that? the stacking effect, like it's like the residual effect. So in the times where I was doing it every day, which is why like you've seen me here, it's like go do the meditations, go do the meditations. I make it a not negotiable because I know if I don't do it, things in my life don't show up the way that I want them to. So, or I can easily drop back in 
to those other emotions that I don't want to be experiencing because that pulls me back down. And I've spent so long. That's the go-to, right? You've been doing it all your life. So So it's like, got to break that pattern. And, and this work for me has really been, because I've done a lot of different things to look to grow, to grow and expand myself. And I feel like this for me has really only been the, the thing that's been able to break certain parts of my patterns that I haven't been able to, haven't been able to break before or couldn't find answers to, or like, why am I feeling like this? Or why doesn't that go away? Now I have a much better understanding around that. Yeah. I mean, it's tools in the toolkit, right? To help you. If you, I mean, we've all overcome stuff in our lives. Um, I mean, you've got a crazy story, which actually I wouldn't like for you to share with people. But if you had these tools 10 years ago, I mean, it's hard to imagine how fast or where you would come or where you'd be. I mean, you've done a lot of Tony Robbins stuff. You've done a lot of. I've done Demartini stuff. I, I mean, you know, I've done a lot of spiritual stuff. I've, you know, done the yoga journey. I've done this. I've done that. I've read a lot of books, <laughs> listened to a lot of podcasts, been to a lot of events. Um, yeah, I definitely, definitely have given the personal development. But the doctor spends the stuff. What would you, what would you say he's, would you rank it in the top two or three? It would be my number one. Number one, eh? Yeah. Number one for sure, because everything starts with the thought. It doesn't matter how good you eat, how many times you go to the gym. If you're still pumping out the wrong thoughts, it's triggering the wrong emotions, which is triggering the wrong feelings. Yeah. So, yeah, you can have the best strategies in the world, but if if you if you don't if you don't have this dialed, yeah, and also too for what I for what I do in my career now, I need my brain to be centered. You can't be a trader and be sitting in fear or anger or resent or guilt or shame because if you do, you're always going to be chasing the market. You're always going to be chasing your tail. So, you know, trading for me has probably been second to Joe's work or parallel with Joe's work has been the best personal development strategy on the planet because training brings straight to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Here's your issue. Every single emotion that you're feeling, you're mm-hmm. getting it right there. Where's your there. weakness? Yep. Yep. Are you impatient? Do you not have discipline? Do you lack focus? It literally just says, here it is. Yeah. And, you're, and you can't mask it because and say, well, this team member did that and this person did this. And, you know, no, there's, you know, it's. You push the button. You're right there. You made the choice. Yep. Yep. It's just you <laughs> yeah. and the charts. <laughs> You can't lie to it. You're going to be like, oh, it was, it was Dwayne. Right. No, it wasn't. Right, right, right. <laughs> it was you. Does he have an explanation for traders who, you know, only talk about their wins and not their losses? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't had an opportunity to ask him that, but hopefully I will get an opportunity to sit and speak with him one day. That would be, that would definitely be on my bucket list items. Yeah. To have lunch with. Uh... Yeah. Just to have lunch with him. I mean, what he's doing, we haven't even delved into the health side of it, but they take blood tests of, you know, he has three, four, 5,000 people at any of his events and they'll, you know, they'll test say half of the, you know, half of the audience. So let's say they do 1,500 people in the event. The change in their biology in seven days of meditating, I mean, there's Harvard scientists and all the top universities around the world are, are watching this work because there's no pill, no drug, no treatment that gives the results 
that they're finding in these people's bloods, DNA, gut microbiome in seven days. I I don't want to make claims here because it's not for me to make claims, but they're doing things that in the health space that no one else is able to drug. And they post those results at the event, right? Is is it daily? They've got a whole scientific team there that from all these universities, the medical scientific teams, and they post the results. They show you the brain scans. They show you the blood test. They show you the microbiome. They show you all the results. So again, the evidence is, you know, and then there'll be people, they, they do these things. They have like healies and healers and you basically band around. So say 14 participants band around someone, you don't know what their condition is. There was a lady at the event, she, she'd had cancer for nine years and she had massive, she had lymphoma cancer and she had these massive lumps under her arms. We did the first healing on the first night. She came back the next morning and the lump had gone. Come on. No, seriously. I mean, you don't believe it. And you saw that like with your own eyes. Yeah. And it's all like there's documented, they're working with mainstream medical organizations because, and a lot of the scientists that the scientists who came in, he was saying to us, when he was presented with this data, he was like, I can't, I can't believe this. And so he went to an event himself because he's like, I need to experience this. I need to see what's going on here. And it was only when he went to the event himself and he went through the process that he was like, holy shit, like this is legit. And they can't work out what the body, so they're saying that the body is the best pharmacy on the planet because when it's put in the right condition, it can do what it's designed to do. Right. You know, they're saying that what they can read is when you change the information in the energetic field, that changes the information that goes to the cells and then the cells perform in a different way. So he's changing people at a cellular level. Yeah. Through a change in energy. Yeah, energy and vibration. Which is, I mean, that's not new technology, right? I mean- (laughs) It's been around for... We have the biocharger here that we use every single day. Psychiatrist or psychologist that uh, created Hopoponoa. Yeah, Hopopono. It's similar, but on on steroids, but just teaching yourself how to do that. So, and so that's what happened with the the healings. If you think about the Hopopono, I always say it wrong, but in essence, it's the same strategy. So we're taking our ability to send that vibration to that person and as long as they're open to receive it that's what changes the message in in the field so and of course i'm using a very um very simple explanation of it but i mean all the data is available no but i mean simple is good because people can understand that Tanil and i we we still do hope up or again sorry for messing up the the uh, the phrase and the name of it but and it's a very simple mantra if you will yeah i'm sorry thank you i love you yeah yeah please forgive me i'm sorry i love you thank you and and we will do that and if there's you know there's that energy and not just between us or like if there was we would do it or if there's we have friends or we're you know you know you know praying if you will uh, that's not our thing but but um we'll we'll do this and and it levels out the energy it's insane how it works I'd asked you, like, if you, if you had had some of these tools, how would it have yeah. changed things? And there was a, actually, when I asked you that, there was a, 
a physiological shift in you actually like yeah so how it would have changed is and to cut a long boring story short I had a lot of turbulence that hit my life at all at the same time you know and it said that the universe will only give you what you need and you get what you need when you need it and so whilst I would like to say I would have loved to have those tools back then I think that I'm glad I've ridden out that journey because I don't think I would be the person I am today had those things not happened in the order and sequence that they have. Had I, From what perspective? Well, tra- let's talk about trading as an example. So at that moment in my life, my life was going great pre, you know, getting divorced, pre the company that I'd built a great residual income with, Um, financially going belly up. If someone had have introduced me to the concept or the idea of trading before those two things happened, I would not have been open to looking at it. I would never have looked at trading because the conditions in my life at that moment in time, I was so comfortable. I was flying. I was getting paid to fly around the world, travel around the world, go on trips. You know, I mean, I... I had a great life. <laughs> Here's a piece of wisdom from me. When things are going great, because I hadn't seen life from a different perspective, I mean, I'm always open to opportunities, but I would never have looked at trading the way that I looked at it when I was in a severe amount of pain and adversity because my back was up against the wall. I would never have looked at it or taken it as seriously as I did because I was comfortable, had a great residual income, had a great lifestyle. I was doing all the things I love to do. So why would I have, you know, taken time out? Why would I have, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's no, no friction to no, and no leverage. There was no discomfort. Mm -hmm. But at the time when someone shared trading with me, I was so uncomfortable and I was just looking for (laughs) I was looking for anything that potentially could get me out of the pain that I was in. So I was going through what started off to be the world's most amicable divorce, but turned into the world's most non-amicable divorce. The company I had built, (laughs) the company I had built, they stopped paying us. And for six months, every month, they were like, no, 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 the money's going to be, no, we're going to pay you. No, we're going to pay you. I had taken all my reserve capital that I was able to get access to from joint accounts from my, di- my divorce. I'd used all of that capital to renovate the houses so as I could sell the houses. So I was asset rich, but cash flow poor at that moment in time. I renovated the houses. Um, it's amazing what you can do when you put your mind to it. Sold the houses, but I was waiting for them to close. So I was waiting for the settlement. So I knew I had the money coming. But there was a period of time where um, there was a very big drought. (laughs) The company that I was working for, that I'd created the residual income, of course, they just kept saying every month, yep, we're going to pay you. We're gonna. They were the gunners. But the gunner never, never came. So I got to the point where there was two weeks in my life where I literally had no, not a dollar in my bank account, not a dollar to my name. And because my ego was too big at that point in my life, I didn't ask anyone for any help. 
So thankfully, I had a lot of brown rice and lentils in the cupboard. And I'd paid my rent. So, you know, I had a roof over my head, had enough food for my dog. And I didn't even have money for petrol or gas. And so I just rode my bike on the women a prayer that that money was going to come in from the settlement from the properties. So someone paid me some money that they owed me, which is, I think it was about $400. And so I took 200 of the $400 and put it in a, a live account. Someone had showed me the, the whole concept of trading and I had seen some people make some eye-opening money out of the process. And so I adopted, well, if they can, I can. They had had no experience in the markets. I had no experience in the markets. I'm a big believer in success leaves clues. If you have something I want, then tell me what you've done. Exactly. Tell me exactly what you've done so as I can follow the same process. So I used my last $200 (laughs) and I needed something that I could start like pretty quickly because I was like, okay, I can go and start up a business. And I was like, yeah, that's great. You got no money. But you have no money to start it. Yeah. <laughs> you got no money for groceries, you know, let alone to throw into a business. So I just believe that the stars aligned for me. I always say to people, people say, you know, how did you find trading? And I say, I didn't find trading. Trading found me. It found me at my lowest. And I remember I had told my, my barristers and my lawyers, just give my ex-husband everything just give him everything. And they were like, we can't accept your instructions. And I said, no, you can. And I said, because here's why. I'm going to release that energy from my life and I've done it once, I can do it again and I'm going to make it back twofold. And so the very next week, a gentleman told me about the trading thing. I got started. I used my, well, did demo account for two weeks and I put $200 in, a, in an account and it was the last $200 at that moment in time I had to my name. And 72 days later, I had turned the $200 into over 794000 and the rest is history. So, In 72 days? In 72 days. 72 yeah. trading days or 72? Um, 72 trading days, yeah. yeah. So five trading days in a week, yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of like, oh, I think this trading thing works. Yeah, so I just decided that because I had been blessed with that opportunity that I – you know, it was something that I needed to put my time and time and effort into. So, and don't get me wrong, it didn't come, it didn't come easy. I remember when I sat down to learn to watch the first videos, I literally sat on the floor and just cried for probably eight hours because I was watching, you know, at the time they were like, there's these things called candles and pips. And I'm like, I have no idea what these people are talking about. But the only reference point I had was the 22-year-old apprentice butcher from um, Brooklyn, you know, who he'd made 30, 40 grand in a month. And so I'm like, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, I'm smart, I'm intelligent, I can do this. And so it turned out to be one of the greatest blessings in my life. I'm eternally grateful for, (laughs) for what trading, and it just taught me so much about myself in that, in that journey and in that process. So that, it makes me want to go trade. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Trading is not for everyone. Well, I will say that. <laughs> yeah. So that was going to be my question is what are your disclaimers around? I mean, cause I feel like, and I know you're not doing this, but there are people who get on and you know, you, you see them all over Instagram and that's why you're not on Instagram trying to sell trading philosophies or coaching or whatever. But there are people who are out there trying to sell this like, 
you know, get rich quick stuff and Hey, it's easy and it's this, and you can do it. And, and yeah, anybody can do anything. There's no question, but there are certain traits that, you know, perform better in, you know, I'm not going to be a world-class swimmer. I don't, I, you know, I'm I'm short, I'm stout and not a swimmer. (laughs) What, what would you say you would be the top three disclaimers that you would kind of throw out there for people to consider because i mean i'm sure if people are listening and they're like oh geez i'm gonna go open up a trading account yeah i mean the first one is you have to i mean sorry the one i would throw out sorry not yours the first one of your, but the one that i would throw out is you have to have a, a demo account and even when you think you're successful at a demo account that that is a, a different rational person trading a demo account than trading live money. live account yeah. so but that anyways because i have taken some trading classes I have traded before for myself. I actually didn't do too badly with it, but for me, it was just, I found it wasn't for me. Let's start off with what you said about there's people out there who are on Instagram, you know, Facebook, social media going, oh, hey, you know, I made this much money trading and um, come join my education program or sign up to my program. And, you know, the AI will trade it for you or it's auto trading. And, you know, you only got to do this and put your money in and then whoosh, you'll be rich. The first thing I'll say that is if they were a really good trader, they wouldn't need to be selling you shit. Right. Because here's the thing, and I can speak with validation because, you know, I mean, okay, today was a slow day for me. It took me four hours to hit my target because the market was slow this morning. But typically, you know, I'm one and you've seen me over the last two weeks, I'm one and done within an hour or so. That didn't happen overnight, right? I've been trading for five years. People who want to sell you trading products, if they legitimately were good traders, they could make in 15 minutes what they make in an annual revenue from collecting from people from subscriptions and all of those sorts of things. There's some people out there who are decent educators, right? It's like some people are really good trading educators, but they're horrific traders. And that comes down to their execution, right? They don't trust themselves or, you know, they're too greedy or they're not focused enough or they're not patient, all of those sorts of things. So the first thing I would caution people against is if you see them on Instagram, they're probably not the right people to learn to trade with, I would say. Or they could be good. They could be good educators, but not good traders themselves. Not good executors. Could could they have good formulas and strategies for trading? Yeah. One of the challenges I have with trading is, as you're aware, you've learned to trade, there's an unlimited amount of strategies in the market. Do they work? Yes. But the challenge is, do you work the strategy, right? Because someone might teach you how to trade Fibonacci. Someone might teach you how to trade moving averages. Someone might teach you, I learned off the Ichimoku, Kinko High or the cloud. I don't use the cloud anymore, but the cloud taught me how to trade, right? Just because I was successful at trading the cloud doesn't mean you'll be successful at trading the cloud, right? Trading strategy really comes down to your personality and how you process data. You've heard me say this a lot of times. When people ask me what I do, I really despise saying I'm a trader because that's not actually what I do. I'm a pattern recognition specialist, 
I look at a screen and I see patterns on a screen and I wait for the confirmation. And when I get the confirmation of the pattern, then I will execute an entry. So I don't see myself as a trader. I see myself as a pattern recognition specialist because that's ultimately the skill that I'm doing to execute a trade entry. The second thing you said about the demo account, yeah, 100%. When I first started, I had a demo account and I said to myself, I have to reach this percentage every day for two weeks in a row on my demo account before I'll go live. I had to prove to myself that I could be consistent over a period of time before I went live into the market. My methodology for people is, I mean, at the time I started trading, $200 was all I had. So it was a big deal for me to throw all my my current cash on the table. But I say to people, if you want to find out whether trading is for you or not, put $200 in an account. And when you've turned that into $2,000, which is 10 times in your money, and you've done it with good risk management, then you might want to think about continuing on with the trading game. But if you put $200 in your account and you blow the account within three days, trading's probably not for you. Right. Because if you put 20000 in an account, it's, no, it's not going to be any different. It's not the numerics. Yeah. It's not the numbers. It's the psychology. It's the psychology, the, the and execution, and the strategy. And the discipline. And here's the difference between me and most people. If I had have learned to trade, say like, when you learned to trade, right? You had other businesses, you had other things on the run. My life, when I learned to trade, I had no money in the bank. My life was literally crumbling around me. So excuse the phrase, I had my balls to the wall, like literally. The business that I had built had stopped paying me. So of course I don't work for free. So I stopped doing what I was doing then. So I had 24 hours a day to myself. When I first started trading, I was on those charts for eight to 12 hours a day. I literally three, five, seven pipped my way from 200 to $200 to 794 over those 72 days. But I think one of the greatest assets of my trading journey was that I spent so much time with the market in my initial period. Most people, because they're comfortable they have another job, they have a business, yeah. they have other responsibilities. Hours a day. They might look at it, you know, and it's like learning a language. If you learn a couple of words, but then you don't practice them, you forget the words and you don't know how to put a sentence together. It's the same thing with trading. What made me successful was just the condensed repetition over such a short period of time. And I didn't have another lifeline. I don't have a partner. I didn't have a husband at that point. I don't have family. I don't have anyone else that I could rely on. So I had to make it, I had to make it work. It was me, myself and I. And you know, Napoleon Hill says, you never find who you truly are until you're put into a a great amount of adversity. And it's like, I feel like I found myself during that time. And even though, you know, I was saying I went through the world's, you know, most unamicable (laughs) divorce people say to me these days, you know, like, oh God, you must hate your ex-husband. And I say, oh my God, he gave me the greatest blessing in my life. If he hadn't have forced me into the situation that I was in, I would never have picked up trading in the way that I did. He actually gave me the greatest parting gift other than my dog. But um, that was the greatest gift to me because I wouldn't have the life I have now if 
if I hadn't have been put in that situation. Yeah, you got to be grateful for all the bad things that happened or the perceived bad things at the time. Yeah. Um, I didn't like it at the time. No. But no. I'm grateful for it now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you, I mean, there's a journey here that you've taken yeah. for the last, how, how long has it been? Uh, it's almost been 10 years. Almost. Yeah. yeah. I think if I'd have had, you asked me a question before, if I'd have had the Joe Dispenza work 10 years ago, I think the only thing that, well, not the only thing. One of the things that it would have really helped me shift was probably how hard I was being on myself when I didn't probably need to be as as hard. And I think it it would have made a hard experience a little less um, tumultuous. And I probably would have been been able to create things at a um, and clear things at a faster rate. And in, in, when you say that, are you referencing like, like not maybe to this extent, but a, a self loathing or a, like just a more shame? Yeah, shame and guilt, and and probably a little bit of resent too, because you know I was like, how did I get myself into this situation? I did all the things that you're supposed to do. You know, I worked hard, I worked my ass off, I hustled, and then I was like, and then it literally I gave it all away to have my my freedom and my happiness back but that's taught me such a valuable lesson in life it's like it's taught me the ability to let go like don't hang on to shit don't hang on to shit that doesn't serve you you know and they say the universe will give you a nudge and if you don't hear the nudge then it'll give you a slap and then it'll give you a bitch slap and then it'll sit you on your ass right and it's like I wasn't listening I needed to be sat on my ass in order for me to get the message. So now when I get the nudges, I go, okay, I'm listening. Got the message. What do you think the big, you know, put you, put you on your ass? What was the big message there for you? I mean, because you talk about, you've talked about, which I think is very powerful. It's like so many people go through life and they're not fully content or happy. I hate using the word happy. Uh, but they're not content. They're not fulfilled. fulfilled they're yeah. lost. They're struggling, you know, with what they, what they want or their own identity or whatever their story is, but they're in, it, there is some angst and conflict in their, in the world. And most of it's within, I mean, they just take it out on people, yeah. the kids and the wife yeah. or the husband or the whatever, and, and the, or the boss or the company they work for. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's some, it's internal. You know, it's inter- like one of the questions I was going to have, and you probably answered it before I, 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 I could ask it, but was, you know, let go of the things that don't serve you. But what was the big message for you at the time that you didn't think you were getting? For you, what was the message? Two things come to mind there when you, are, when you said that. The first thing was stop doing things that aren't wholly authentically who you are. And I think that came to me because as you're aware, because you were part of my journey back then, I knew I needed to exit the marriage. I had so much guilt or shame or for me, it was like, you can't fail. And I've learned then that if you're going to fail, you should fail fast. Just get it out. Don't hang on and hang on. And I think at that point in time, I wasn't really connected with you know, my ego, my ego was very strong, but I wasn't really connected to my ego to understand how much it was driving all of my decisions. And there's nothing shameful 
in being authentically who you are. And if something's not serving you, regardless of whether it's, you know, a marriage or a, a business or a friendship or, or whatever, it's okay to let it go. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means that at that moment in time that that's, that's not for you. And I think the other thing that really rang true to me was, um, and this is not coming from an ego perspective, it's coming from a place of truth. And so, and this is not something I would have felt comfortable to say 10 years ago, but I think the reason why the universe was tapping me was because I was playing too small. I was constricting myself out of fear of judgment of what other people say. And I think certainly as a woman in a business environment and, you know, like as a, let's call it an alpha, you know, whatever people want to label it as um, an alpha personality or a boss babe or, you know, there's all these labels in the world. uh, And again, you've lived through this with me of, you know, sometimes, not sometimes, a lot of the time I was constantly receiving, you're too much, you're too intimidating, you're too this, you're too that. I've now learned a better way to channel that energy. I'm not perfect at it, but I would certainly say that I've evolved over a period of time. So actually, if, if I'd had Joe's work back then, I think it would have helped me to channel that a bit better. So I think the message for me was stop playing so small and stop trying to shrink and contract yourself when there's, there's so much more of you to give than what you're allowing. So, so those are two big, huge things I think. And I'd have, so, so the playing small and then not doing things that are not authentically you. When you said that, the question that kind of popped into my head was, and from your experience, you know, a, how do you identify that? And then B, it's been my experience that people don't want to leave. We're like monkeys. We, you know, we, we won't let go of one branch until we have a hold of another. And so, so they, they don't want to move to something until they're certain about it. So they hang on to the shitty life or the, whatever is happening relationship or whatever it is, job, career, even it could be a business that they start and they don't, they realize they don't like it and they will stay in it because they don't, they're not certain about what to go to next. You've let go of a few things in your life. Like how do you, from your perspective and experience, identify it and then make the leap to making that change? Because it's, it, it takes faith, some courage, I think, but you know, belief, grace, all those kinds of things. What? Yeah, for me, it took a lot of trust. And that trust is trusting yourself. And so going back to your question about, like, how do you know? Or if I had my time again, how would I, how would I do it differently? The one thing that I don't think we pay enough attention to as humans these days, and again, I think it's because we're so busy and so caught up, which is why the stillness piece that I spoke about is so important. My intuition, and they say you know, it's not just women's intuition, but it's men's intuition as well. My intuition kept screaming at me. It was like, you know, when you get that gut feeling and you're like, I know that this is not the right thing for me. But what kept me there was like the fear of other people's opinions. You know, my grandmother, she was the only family I had left and she was in her mid nineties. 
And as ridiculous as this sounds, one of the reasons I stayed was because I didn't want to get divorced and break my grandmother's heart. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, my grandmother's on her last legs. Imagine if I tell her I'm getting divorced. It'll destroy her. But looking back now with the tools and how I've evolved as a person and the work that I've been able to do along the way, if I had my time again, I I would have chosen differently and I, I would have the tools to know how to handle that situation to be able to go to my grandmother and, and you know, say, look, this is the decision I've made and this is why I've made it and have a level of comfort around an acceptance. A dear friend of mine, Emma Murray, talks about sitting in a place of radical acceptance and I think that that's not something that we do often enough of just radically accepting, okay, well, it's, it's okay for me to feel this way. And instead of blocking what feels true, um, just allowing it, allowing it to be. So intuition for me, I would say is probably a really big part, listening to your intuition. And there's so many other signs around you. Like for me, it was my health. I also got a quite a life-threatening health diagnosis at the time. And I remember the doctor saying to me, yeah, there's a deci- you know the decision you need to make at the time because I was like, well, you know, what are my options? What am I going to do? And I remember her saying to me, I think you know the decision that you need to make. The sign was coming to me but I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to hear it. So I think, yeah, the body de- definitely keeps the score and for me also too just listening to, to my intuition. You know, when you've got that niggle and like you said, it takes – it took phenomenal courage – for me, I actually didn't think I had it in me to do what I did. So I surprised myself with the journey. But yeah, I guess you just don't know what you're capable of until you until you put into the situation. Well, so many of us, that's the truth, right? Yeah. But that's where the magic is. We so badly want to avoid all of that. One of the biggest things I've taken from Martini's work is the whole equilibration process. It's like you can't have a positive without a negative can't have a negative without a positive. That's just the law of the universe. Mm-hmm. It's the law of gravity. What goes up must come down, right? Right. I've learned to train my brain that when something negative happens, it's like, okay, all right, what's the lesson here? What's the gift? Where am I going to grow? And guess what? Something great is just around the corner. And then when the good thing comes in, most people get high on the good. But I go, oh, yeah, this is great. But just remember It'll end. the balance, the balance is going to happen. You know, it doesn't have to be like catastrophic high, catastrophic low. It can just be like, oh, yeah. So when when the bump comes, you go, oh, yeah, that's cool. I can deal with it. And then move forward. You know, some of the strategies, um, I was just talking, I had this, just had a conversation with somebody, I don't know, on the podcast, but, and, you know, the strategies we'll often use are, are you know, when something happens like you said it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be catastrophic it could be the smallest things and, and that's actually to me where using the strategies is most helpful when it's not a big high or big low where you can use it in just the little ones and then you avoid all the craziness simply just ask myself like is this true is and and because most of you know you receive bad news or, or something that happens wherever, the office, your business, your relationship, whatever, uh, your health. And it's not really in the fact, it's the perception of the fact. And so it's like, 
and which is not, that's not new to anybody, but it's the strategy for us is, is this true? Is it, is it really true? And this is, um, essentially out of, um, Byron Katie's work. Is it true? Is it absolutely true? Who am I with this thought and who would I be without this thought? Those series of four questions have been super powerful for us to, you know, just navigate any kind of bumps in the, in, in the road and then identifying, you know, why do I have this feeling? Like, is this, is this feeling that I'm currently, is it really related to what's really happening? Or is it a trigger from something else? And not to like start to like rip down my childhood and all that kind of stuff, but it's just like in the here and now, is this true? And so walking through a process, but most people don't have a process. Their process is the heat gets so fucking bad. I got to get the hell out of the pot. And then in the process, they jump into a frying pan. And that is sometimes a virtue of luck or grace uh, when they don't jump back into a frying pan. You know, you, what, bad relationship to bad relationship, bad business to bad business, issues with kids. Like it just constantly is a process for people rather than just being able to stop. I use a strategy that I, I always say to myself, okay, Kim, don't react to this situation, respond. Because a reaction and a response are two completely different comes from. So it's like, okay, what's my response going to be to this? Not my reaction. Yeah. Creating time and distance between stimulus and response. Yep. That is my favorite thing. It's like, yep. you know, time and distance. If I could write a chapter in a book, one of them would be time and distance and how to create them. Too much time, not good. Not enough time, also not good. You know, too much distance, not good. And there's some art in being able to create time and distance uh, in, in that process. And it's, you're absolutely right. Because time and distance will also trigger, it's like in trading, right? Time and distance will trigger those emotions that I was talking about earlier that you're addicted to, right? So it's like if you want the reaction, you're going to get the anger, you're going to get the guilt, you're going to get the shame, you're going to get the fear of uncertainty. But the time and distance can give you that space to go, okay, not going to go there. Who do, and one of the things I love, one of the questions I love about Joe's work is at the end of each meditation, he says to you, who do you want to be when you finish this meditation? Like, who do you need to show up as? How do I need to show up as the person that I want to be in this moment, you know, right here, right now? And I think the other thing too, that goes to what you were saying about the time and distance is, okay, in five days is this really going to impact my life in five weeks? Is it going to impact my life in five months? Yeah. So why do we make all these things such a big deal? Right. What's the story you're making of? That's the other one I always go, is this a story? Yeah. And, and, and I know it's always a story. So I go, is this a story? Yes, it's a story. Okay. Well, what is the story you are creating right now? And how could you alter the story in order to benefit you? Yeah. Or benefit the people and all people involved. And it's like, that's the other real big one. Yeah. The, it's interesting you just said about about the intention that he you have to you, so you set an intention before every meditation. Well, he gets you to set an intention during, during the meditation. Yeah. So he gets you out of he tries to get you out of your analytical brain, drop into those deep brain waves 
And then as he gets you to activate the energy and expand, then he gets you to set the intention. Um, but that's when he's getting you to work in your, get your brain space, you'll set the intention and then he gets you to activate the feelings because setting the intention sends the signal out. Mm-hmm. The feelings is the magnet that brings it back to, in the in the three mm. D world. That's really interesting because as you were saying it, one of the things that I try to do in my intimate relationship with Tanil, my wife, is I didn't say my wife because you you know her. <laughs> For anybody who's listening. <laughs> Is is like I legitimately and literally set an intention, you know, for the day. I don't do it every day. I will set an intention being how, you know, how do I need to show up today? What's my intention for the day to pour or show or participate in this loving relationship? You know, I really it has helped me out immensely in in my ability to to show up because I can create every excuse in the world. I'm busy. I got this project going on. I got that project. She's probably busier than I am, but, but we, I mean, so we could both, you know, show up with, you know, a story about that too and excuses. And, um, and so I've never actually asked her, but that's what I do. This one is I set an intention of who do I need to be to show, like, who do I need to show up as Mm -hmm. in order to deserve the love that I would like to receive in this relationship. And then it's like, I show up doing things that, and then all of a sudden love shows up. Yeah. That's the whole point. Right. And it's like, my guess is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you set the intention, you've got a feeling that's going on when you say, in order for me to receive this love, you're connecting with the feeling that you feel because of the, the, because of the love and connection that you share with her. So it's like when you're setting the intention, you're bringing it back by the feeling that you have of, you know, who do I need to show up as so as I can receive this love? Well, it's, it's not the love itself, it's the feeling that creates the love. Yeah, no, it, it is. Uh, and when you said that earlier, that's kind of one of, was one of my distinctions. I think also one of my intentions are not necessarily to f- feel the love back, but to be able to just give it unconditionally and without ego. If I show up in a certain way, that means I'm showing up and pouring love into it. Every, every, physics, every physics book will tell you that, that, that you'll receive the love back, right? Yeah, so. and that brings another valid point that, triggered me for something that you mentioned earlier. One of the things that I think is really important that we miss today too, is we spend society teaches us so much to give out and pour out, certainly in the, the business space or the personal development world or those sorts of things. It's all about giving. But one of the things that's really become apparent to me in the past couple of years, and certainly because I'm so independent and you know, I, I don't think that's so much my persona as such, I think it's just my life's journey has taught me to be independent. You know, I lost my mom when I was 17 to cancer. And so it was like, I had to grow up pretty quickly. And then, you know, my father was, has been absent for 20 plus years. And so, you know, I've had to learn to be independent along the way, but I think something that I've really learned in the past, I would say three to five years is the ability to receive. And I think a lot of us feel guilty 
around receiving. Now, some people are happy just to take from other people, you know, it's just in their nature, but there's a difference between taking and receiving. Actually experiencing the ability to give and receive, I feel like that was an imbalance that was happening in my life. And certainly I feel like things come to me faster when I allow myself to receive versus having that that block in place. And, you know, that just came up for me when you were talking about the giving love to tea and, you know, the love that you experience. It's like as long as we can sit in the place of reciprocity, giving and receiving, I think that that's, yeah, that's definitely an important. And doing it without guilt because I know certainly for me, when I would receive something, there was this like this guilt around and just receiving, giving unconditionally and receiving unconditionally. You know, it's not like, oh, we're going to keep score or you gave me this. So now I got to give you that. No, it's just like, hey, I just, I just want to give you this. And hey, I'm going to be open to receive that. And one other thing that came to me when you were speaking about just a, a minute ago, the stories that we have. Another thing that is a routine for me that I constantly ask myself, so I'm conscious of it, is when a situation happens, I always ask myself the question, is that a, an observation or a fact? Like, is that a judgment or a fact? So in that moment when we create a story, am I observing something? Am I judging something? Or is that factually happening? But so I'm consciously questioning myself, like, is that coming from a place of ego or is that an actual factual thing that's happening? You know, is that assumption or fact? Because 99.9% of our problems in life come because we assume something. Um, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's funny, like we have a mastermind group and, you know, when we do our shares, it's, you know, we do it based on gestalt, you know, philosophies and teachings and it's so hard to share in a way where you are not imposing your opinion or your experience or your judgment. It's very, very difficult. I mean, when you listen to people talk, most of the time they are rendering their opinion or judgment on something and not just sharing, hey, an experience like, hey, you know, this happened to me. I'm not sure if it helps you in any way, but, or if, you know, you draw from it because often when people will talk to you, you'll take, oh, wait, this was a distinction. Oh, that's a distinction. But, you know, we get so busy telling, what do we see? What do they say that we see things through rose colored glasses, right? And, 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 you know, we see them through our experiences and, and based on our experiences, we form opinions and judgments. And that's usually what comes out of our mouth. And we also see things from the level of emotional intelligence that we're sitting at. If you've been sitting in a state of anger or resent or guilt or shame, you will see a situation completely different to if you're sitting in a place of wholeness, abundance, joy, and happiness. It's like perception versus reality, fact or assumption. Yeah. I mean, who, wasn't it Einstein that said you can't solve a problem from the, this same level of uh, consciousness that it was created? Or Yeah. 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 It's true. Kim, thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate you being here. It was awesome spending time <laughs> I have with had you. an amazing time here. Uh, obviously, I don't know if people caught, you know, through the podcast that you've been staying with us for a couple of weeks. A couple now. of weeks. It's been, it's been awesome 
to have you in Canada with us. Uh, been great hanging out with you. Great having you know some late night uh, philosophical conversations. Conversations, yep. <laughs> over uh, glasses of tequila. <laughs> <laughs> so Busted. Uh, I'm, I'm always uh, grateful to spend time with you and I'm looking forward to having you back on the, on the podcast, uh, maybe from Europe or wherever the hell you're going to be. Yeah, absolutely. No, and thank you so much. I truly have, it's been an absolute blessing to be here and, um, just a joy to be around you and T and, you know, the cool thing is when you surround yourself with like-minded people, you know, you're just constantly learning, growing and evolving. And so yeah, I've had an absolute blast and I'm actually really sad to be to be leaving, but the next adventure awaits. <laughs> yeah, well, we're sad you're going, but hopefully, I mean, maybe we'll, next podcast will be uh, on our uh, stem cell journey to Mexico. Absolutely. We'll, we can share our journey with the, uh, with the audience on, on what happened with stem cells. Stem cells. So uh, that seems to be something that sounds like we're going to do. So let's get it. Looking forward to it. Love you lots. Thanks for being here. Likewise. And, uh, thank you. And, uh, where can people find you, by the way? I don't know if we said that last time on the podcast. Um, I'm a little hard to find. I am on Instagram. I have a private account, but it's um, you can find me at KME Living Free. KME Living Free. Like Kimmy Living Free. Uh, love you lots. And uh, we will uh, we'll chat soon. Awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you being with us. If you found value in the show and know a friend or a coworker who could benefit from the conversation, please share the link via text or on social media. Remember, each share creates a ripple effect of knowledge and inspiration. We'll see you next week. The views, information, or opinions expressed by guests during the Business of Doing Business podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Dwayne Kerrigan and his affiliates. Dwayne Kerrigan, or the Business of Doing Business podcast, is not responsible for and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform listeners are advised to consult with a qualified professional or specialist before making any decisions based on the content of this podcast.